Hello, everybody. Welcome to OBP, Ocean Park Podcast, with your host, Liam Lobb. Hello again, everybody. I'm back for another episode. Episode number six. And we're going to go into a little tale from the winter time. Little rascals are running from the cops. You see us peeling away in our jean jackets and our Iron Maiden t-shirts. Camouflage pants. Hope you enjoy. So it was about mid-80s, not much going on usually in Ocean Park after Christmas time, but that's when the real winter would show up. That's when snow, blizzard conditions, ice, havoc on the roads, that was the month uh, that the real winter showed up. This is also when the fun for teenagers would come. The snow would hit the ground, and in the evenings, rather than studying for some bullshit test at White Rock Junior or midterms or whatever, it'd be time to go and cut loose for a few hours in the evening, go wander around the block, make some snowballs, maybe run into some other teenagers that you knew from from the hood so me and you know usually a couple other boys that uh, you might have known in the time if you went to white rock jr would set out usually up 24th towards the perhaps the uh, school ground area crescent park it was you know secured pretty good by chain link fence so kind of had a barrier between any warring factions, if some other local teens decide to engage you in a ice ball slash snowball fight. This particular evening, you know, it was pretty busy. It was, uh, snow was falling pretty good. It was big and it was wet. You know, I think we had probably close to about 16 inches of snow. So I got the bright idea of crawling up onto the high roof on Crescent Park Elementary. Well, this wasn't an easy task. You had to climb the plumbing pipe up one side and then get to a midsection. And then you had to navigate up to the gym roof, which was the highest part of the school. So up there... You know, it would be pretty hard to determine uh, where the snowballs were coming if you were pitching from that spot. But uh, hitting cars was usually some pretty good entertainment. Uh, 
some drivers would you know, swerve after you pelted the windshield. Uh, some would pull over and give chase. Some would yell and swear at you and throw, do a couple of drive-bys and hope they could uh, figure your vantage point. All this was great entertainment for 15-year-olds. Uh, the traffic wasn't too heavy in, in those days on 128th. Get a car maybe once every five minutes or sometimes you get one every couple of minutes. And as the evening went by, it'd be maybe one every 20 minutes or so. In, in the lulls, you'd make up some snowballs and kind of pack them over to the side to make sure you had an arsenal ready in case they did pull over and then you could pelt them in the forehead if you got a lucky shot. Uh, this was usually how we employed our tactics. Well, we weren't banking on this. One evening, a station wagon went by, which was a good targeting zone. Wide body, long. So we nailed it from the tie roof. And the car didn't seem to be any any uh, less affected by our pelting it. So off it went. So we were giggling away and kind of having a laugh. And within another minute or so, station wagon was back, coming around from the other direction. So we blasted it again. Good, you know five or ten shots clean to the to the old wagon we did a little bit of fish tailing and like the driver was trying to anticipate where the shots were coming from well they came around for a third time now we should have you know banked on this was a problem by the third go around but you know, we're not we're not going to discriminate that uh, this car was interested in receiving some of our icy homemade snowballs. On the third pelting, a dash light came up, a uh, red strobe, indicating that it was a ghost car. This was the local RCMP in their ghost wagon. And they pulled over and they were getting set up to get out and give chase. Now, I'd never done jail time to this point, And I figured three, three cruise buys, this could be a federal offense by now, depending on what kind of damage we've done and what egos we've hurt. So we bolted. We jumped off the first section, and it was pretty pretty simple, and then motored to the back end, which was a smaller distance to jump from. And off I went, and I hit the ground. And with an icy little surface underneath the existing snow top, my heels gave out from underneath me. And I landed on my right wrist. 
this was not in the plan. So off we booked to Crescent Park into the bush, and you could see the flashlights coming. So there was more than one, and they were given pursuit. So the adrenaline factor here was pretty high, and there's no way that I was going to go off to the BC pen without a good run or fight. So myself and Trent, and I can't remember who the other character was, uh, split in three different directions, which was a wise maneuver. All with a plan of regrouping once the coast was clear. So as I sat down into the bush, I'd realized that landing that I'd made was actually my left wrist, sorry, not my right. Uh, I'd broken it. And I could feel, you know, the adrenaline was going, but I, I knew it wasn't right. And so kind of tried to maneuver it around. And I was like, yeah, no, that's bad news. So I heard Trent mustering around in the woods. So I caught up with him. And I told him, hey, buddy, like, I think, uh, I think there's something wrong with my arm here. So he started to laugh a little bit, and he is like, yeah, buddy, right, whatever. And I was like, yeah, buddy, well, we're going to have to hide out for a while. And uh, this is not going to be pleasant, but I think I might have to get home and get to the hospital. So I'd say about an hour, hour and a bit went by. Local RCMP had realized that uh, this wasn't the biggest crime case for them to solve in the lower mainland. So they made their way back, and Trent and I made our way back to my house. Now, fortunately, my mother wasn't there, because she would have disapproved of our pelting of police cars. But my stepfather was there. So he, you know, was uh, pretty on board with uh, maybe we should uh, cook up a story here and uh, take a take a ride to the hospital. So in that moment, my devious mind started to click, and I realized I could have easily fallen off our roof at home. So I suggested, hey, let's just say Trent was pulling a prank and threw my shoe out on the roof, and I went to go get it and slid off, and boom. So we made our way to the hospital, and sure enough, x-rays later, wrist was broken. So it was time to get on one of those big, goofy, white cut casts. The first technology from the 50s. Nothing too complicated. Plaster. A little bit of, little bit of uh, form on there, on the wrist area to make sure that it was secure. And out I went. Well, it was it was great to have that little uh, cast for eight weeks. Got me out of square dancing class, which was probably the most ridiculous thing you could add to any school curriculum west of Cranbrook. But here we are. So I dodged a bullet and said, there's no way I can perform to my fullest square dancing capabilities with a broken left wrist. So 
I got a pass. But the one thing I didn't get a pass from was my friend Dean, who him and I would routinely lump on each other just for fun. That would be Charlie horses and smacks to the back of the head, followed by full-on wrestling maneuvers. And uh, Dean was coming at me pretty solid for about six weeks, calling me every name in the book. You know, what kind of what kind of limp-wristed puss can't uh, wrestle without a cast on? Now, he was half right. I mean, it, it happened on pro wrestling all the time, but I had no experience with this. So I, you know, listened to this for a couple of weeks and figured enough was enough. So one afternoon, Dean came at me, you know, with his, uh, hey, what are you can't handle it, eh, you know, I think he went for the slap in the in the face or something, and I proceeded to tomahawk chop him in the head with my plaster cast three times quickly. This left Dean in a state of disorientation and mild concussion, and I feel like he had reckoned to this point now, this was probably not his best strategy to mess with the cast. So my neighbor and friend Bill and I used to get up to no good during the week. I think this was probably grade 11. We were going to Semiamu. We uh, would, you know, kind of wing it each night and find things to amuse ourselves, maybe watch some TV, listen to The Who, talk on the phone, head over to another friend's place, mix it up a little bit. One evening we were hanging around my house and uh, it was, you know, getting close to Christmas time and uh, we were getting kind of restless and, you know, thinking up things to amuse ourselves. Well, in small towns, they have local television. And in White Rock, we had Shock Gable. And they would do local programming. There was comedy skits and pantomime and all kinds of uh, kitschy stuff. But our eccentric neighbor next door, I can't remember her name, She had a weekly broadcasted show on Shaw Cable where she would talk about community comings and goings. Now, this show was as dry as a popcorn fart. It was just ridiculous. Uh, Sometimes it was call-in. Sometimes it was my neighbor pontificating about, you know, what was going on at the seniors' home or what uh, bowling tournament was going to happen at the Viking house or whatever. So me being, you know, the most uh, friendly child on the neighborhood and most gregarious, I would try and get to know my neighbors and... uh, most of them were pretty cool, but the neighbor next door is almost uh, 
Munster-like in their keeping away from us and letting us peer into, you know, their comings and goings. So they're kind of an enigma. Bill and I and my stepdad were watching TV and not really paying attention, and I noticed uh, Shaw Cable was on, and our neighbor was hosting, and it was a Christmas show, which was pretty festive, I figured. And uh, we started to listen into some of the Christmas stories that the, the locals were calling in with, and I got the bright idea to... Maybe do a calling. So I said to Bill, distract George, don't let him turn the TV channel, and keep the channel live. So I went into the other room, and I called up Shaw Cable. And uh, one of the producers, I guess he was just bored out of his mind, not really paying attention to what the caller-in story was about, but he was doing the screening. And then he would put you on live. So the producer answered, uh, Good evening, Shaw Cable. What's your Christmas story? So I proceeded to pretend to be a senior citizen from the White Rock Peninsula who was a bit senile. So I started on. I said, uh, Oh, you'll never forget the time that we were having people over at Christmas time and there was reindeer on the front lawn and I'm pretty sure Santa was there. It was so convoluted and so unimpressive I thought, if I can get past with this story, uh, they deserve everything they get. So the producer said, oh, that's a great story. Okay, well, you're going to be on next. Just hold tight. I'll just give you an indicator when, when you're ready. Now, this all went down in about three minutes. So next thing I hear is, you're next. So I get on the live wire there, and I hear my neighbor host say, Good evening, you're on Shaw Cable. What's your Christmas story? And I said, Shaw Cable sucks balls. I can instantly hear Bill and George cracking up in the other room. As I bust through the door, laughing and hitting the ground with tears rolling down my face. I'm like, yeah, they had that coming, old Shaw Cable. <sighs> Serves them right for having Christmas stories so crummy. But that's what happens in a small town. R.I.P. Shaw Cable.
I hope you've enjoyed some tales from the Ocean Park winter extravaganza from the mid-80s. I've enjoyed going back and thinking about those times. Really was a good time to grow up in White Rock. Hope to catch up with you guys again soon. Take good care.